Hello, and welcome to Never the Twins Shall Meet, a podcast hosted by twin sisters, separated by distance, but united by nerdiness. I'm your host, Lulu. And I'm your co-host, Pi. So before we get started, Lulu, is there anything that you have been into or up to lately? Well, like I mentioned last episode, I'm currently on break between my semesters because I have the strangest schedule right now because of COVID. So I'm just kind of chilling at home and not doing very much. Um, Recently, I saw the movie Prospect, which I enjoyed a lot. It's a very low budget sci-fi movie with a pretty good script about this girl and her father who go to an alien moon to harvest these weird gemstones, but things go badly and the girl ends up having to depend on the man who killed her father to survive. If you like The Mandalorian, it is part of the broader Pedro Pascal, the murderous space cowboy father figure cinematic universe. A very good cinematic universe, so I should definitely check that out. Yeah, pretty good movie. Doesn't have much of a budget, but I thought it had a good script. And also one of the leads talks like a cowboy the entire time, even though it's set in space. Which, I mean, what not to like? That does sound iconic. Also, on your recommendation, I'm reading A Wizard's Guide to Defensive Baking by T. Kingfisher, which is a very delightful fantasy book about a young girl who is a bread wizard. And I think we're going to be talking about it more on an upcoming episode. So if that sounds interesting to you, stay tuned. I've also been rereading Gotham Academy, which is a comic published by DC Comics. And it's kind of a Scooby-Doo-esque story about kids at this old boarding school in Gotham investigating ghosts and vampires and all sorts of supernatural shenanigans. I also feel like it sort of has an interesting place in the DC Comics universe, though, because the main character is the daughter of a supervillain who is put away in Arkham Asylum by Batman, so she hates him which is kind of fun because it means that it's both just like a delightful story about this detective club investigating ghosts and hauntings, but also has sort of an interesting place in the wider DC Comics universe. And I read this comic a while ago, but I'm just rereading it now because it's fun and I like it. I love Gotham Academy. It's honestly one of my all-time favorite comic series. Which is weird because neither of us really know that much about DC Comics, something we will be getting into further in this episode. Is there anything that you've been into or up to lately that you want to mention before we get started? Like I said in the last episode, I am back on campus and I'm still like in the middle of the beginning of my semester. So I'm pretty busy, but I did have time to read Wild and Crooked by Leah Thomas, which I sort of thought was going to be a murder mystery because it's about a guy and a girl who become friends despite the fact that one of their fathers supposedly killed the other one when they were in high school. But it was actually like a little bit more about a very strong male-female platonic friendship, which I really liked. And it was not quite what I was expecting, but I think overall it was a good read. I am also currently reading Silk and Steel, a queer speculative adventure anthology, which is basically exactly what it sounds like. It's a really great anthology full of fantasy and sci-fi short stories about lesbians having adventures and falling in love. And it's so good so far. It's such a fun anthology and I love the cover art. Finally, I am currently reading the New Mutants classic comics that I've been doing for quite a while. And I also recently started reading New Teen Titans in order to like completely overload my brain with iconic superhero comics featuring teenagers in the 80s being superheroes. We here at Never the Twins Shall Meet really enjoy comics about teen superheroes if you haven't caught on to that already. So remember last episode when we said that we don't really know anything about DC Comics? Well, today we're doing a whole episode on Batman, specifically the comic storyline Under the Red Hood and the 2010 animated movie adaptation of the same name. To be perfectly clear, we are doing this because I read this comic and I had a lot of feelings about Jason Todd that I have to share. That is literally why we're doing this episode, because you just dragged me into your mire of Jason Todd emotions. 
and forced me to read this comic and then watch the movie. This is kind of new territory for both the podcast and us in general, because neither of us really know that much about Batman, even though we're both really into superhero stuff, which is kind of odd. Uh, So I guess you could kind of spin this episode as us not having any outsider bias on this storyline, or you could just like think of it as a new adventure for this podcast. Basically, it's time for some Jason Todd emotions. So we really don't have that much Batman background, so I figured it might be helpful to kind of go over what both of us actually know about Batman before we dive into a storyline that is very much about Batman canon. Like I mentioned earlier, we both are huge fans of the kids' comic Gotham Academy, which is cute, but also fairly unrelated to the Batman universe as a whole, even though some characters like Killer Croc and Damian Wayne, who's currently the Robin, turn up. It's pretty fun, but not that related to Batman, which is why both of us have enjoyed it in the past. It does have a few Batman cameos, mostly things like Bruce Wayne being like the PowerPoint presenter at their start of school assembly, or Batman turning up the main character being like, I hate you because you put my mom in Arkham Asylum. But it has a mostly original cast of characters who are pretty separate off doing their own thing. So you can read it without basically like any knowledge of the DC universe besides Batman dresses as a bat and is Bruce Wayne. Which is what we just did. The other comic that we've read that features some Batman adjacent characters is the Midnighter series by Steve Orlando, which we have previously talked about on this podcast because we both love it. Midnighter is like sort of a Batman-ish character, but he kills people. However, there actually is one uh, Batman related character in this series, which is there's a few cameos of Dick Grayson, aka Nightwing, who is the original Robin for Batman of like the iconic Batman and Robin sidekick and superhero duo. And eventually he graduated and became like his own superhero. So he has a few cameos in that, but it's overall like a Midnighter story, not a Batman story. So we didn't really read this like with the aim of reading more comics with Batman characters in mind. Mystifyingly, both of us have seen the movie Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, which yes, I saw in theaters, and no, I cannot explain why I went to go see this movie, and no, I did not enjoy it. I can explain it, and it's called Sometimes When You're in High School and You Have Friends, You Just Want to Go See a Bad Movie Together, and we did that. There was much heckling. It is a little bit related to what we're about to talk about, though, which is that at one point in this movie, there is a shot of a glass case in the Batcave with a graffiti-covered superhero suit, which is sort of a reference to the fact that once upon a time, Batman had a Robin who was killed by the Joker. This will be relevant in this episode later. And I do remember when watching this movie, I was like, ah, yes, that's because Batman's sidekick died. So I was like vaguely aware of this via cultural osmosis, I think, if not like actually having read any of the comics. Weirdly enough, a lot of my knowledge of Batman actually comes from a class that I took in college because When I was a freshman in college, in the days of your before the bad times, aka fall 2019, I took a freshman seminar on heroes and villains through the ages. So we read like the Iliad and stuff and the Odyssey and Medea and Othello, but we also read a lot of Batman comics because the professor was very nerdy. So I read the comic, The Dark Knight Returns, didn't love it, had some interesting discussions, saw the movie Joker, also didn't love it, also had some really interesting discussions. I also, with friends, have seen the movie The Dark Knight Rises, but none of the other movies in that franchise, which means I've never seen like the iconic Heath Ledger Joker movie, which I know like that's probably some kind of nerd crime. And also, weirdly enough, we talked about Jason Todd, the dead Robin, who will come up in this episode in class. So it was always sort of in the back of my mind, like, hmm, maybe I should go read some Batman comics because I have a little bit of knowledge from this class that I took in college, but not that much. And it only took me, oh, two years to get around to doing that. That seminar did sound really fun, though. 
Oh, another comic that we are both recently reading is the Webtoon Wayne Family Adventures, which is just like a free comic published by DC Comics on the like the app Webtoon where you can read little comics on your phone. And it's basically just like a slice of life comic story about Batman and his various sidekicks having adventures. Like there's an entire issue of this comic that is just them fighting over who gets the last cookie at dessert. It's very silly, but the art is extremely cute and it's really fun. It is very cute. And I think it works well for me because I I don't really like Batman that much because I find Batman kind of silly because he's just too much of a power fantasy for me. Like he's rich and he's a great fighter and he's a genius detective and he has cool inventions. It's just like, it's a little bit too much for me personally. I mean, yeah, he lives in a mansion and he has a butler and an underground tech cave. And like, it's a bit much for me. I'm more of like a fan of underdog type of superheroes because I got into stuff like Young Avengers or the X-Men who are not like billionaires and they don't have like their own tech caves and stuff. So that's kind of more my thing than Batman, honestly. Yeah, and I mean, there are aspects of Batman that I find kind of interesting. Like I love characters whose motive is like, something terrible happened to me and I want to stop it from happening to other people. At a basic thing, that's kind of what superhero comics are all about. And I do kind of vibe with that type of character, but I've just never been a huge Batman fan. Like he's just a little bit too much of an overpowered fantasy kind of character sometimes for me, but like I'm willing to engage with Batman, which is why that I have, you know, read this comic and watched this movie we're about to talk about. So the other relevant thing about Batman comics is the concept of the Robins, which are just like Batman sidekicks. They wear a lot of yellow, red, and green, and they follow him around and fight crime together. And until recently, I did not actually know there were like a lot of Robins, but there are a lot of Robins. Yeah, I didn't really know that much about the Robins either, because the one Batman comic that I have read features this sort of original Robin-esque character, Carrie Kelly, who I don't think is part of the main DC universe. And they don't really feature Robins in any of the Batman or DC movies that I've seen. So a lot of my Robin knowledge is pretty limited. I feel like most of the recent Batman movies have not included any of the Robins because they're kind of going for like this edgy dark loner vibe with Batman and it's really hard to pull that off if he's being followed around by a 12 year old in like yellow tights so they just don't include them at all. Yeah I mean the Robin was dead in Batman v Superman to create this like jaded loner Batman But there are, in fact, a string of Robin-esque characters, and I think we're just going to go over them briefly, because if you don't know anything about the Robins, this is probably helpful, and if you do know anything about the Robins, how little we know is probably kind of funny. So my knowledge goes, uh, there's Dick Grayson, who is the first Robin, and he is the hot one who backflips. He was also created in an era where it was not considered child abuse to name your child Dick. That is how you can tell he's the oldest one. Uh, I guess he sort of does acrobatic stuff. And then there's Jason, who's the one who kills people. This is what I knew about him before I read this comic, so I feel like this is how I should summarize him. There is also Tim Drake, who is one of the more recent ones, and he is the bi one. I am sorry, Tim. I don't really know much about you, except there was a recent comic where you decided to go on a date with a guy, and everyone was like, hooray, one of the Robins is bisexual. And I'm like, good for you. I still don't really know anything about you. And then there's Damien, who's... The baby one, he's like 12. He's the only one whose Batman is his biological father. He probably has a really wild custody arrangement considering his mom is an assassin. I have kind of a soft spot for Damian Wayne because he's pretty much the only Robin that I really 
read stuff in before this because he turns up a bit in Gotham Academy. And I think he's a fun character because he's like 12, but also running around being vigilante. And then there's Steph Brown. She's the girl Robin. Her dad is a supervillain, maybe. She wears purple. I think she died once. Presumably she's better now because she's definitely in comics these days. I know there's also Duke Thomas, who I don't think is actually a Robin, but is maybe Robin adjacent. And I think where is yellow? He's pretty recent character, so I don't really know anything about him other than the fact that he turned up in the Wayne Family Adventures webcomic we've been reading. So I really don't know much about him. Sorry, Duke. And finally, there's Cassandra Kane, who's a former child assassin. There are a lot of former child assassins in DC Comics, like a lot, but she turned into a superhero now, and that's kind of all I know about her. I mean, there's a lot of former child assassins in Marvel Comics, too. Like, we're both giant fans of Laura Kinney, and that's her whole deal. That's true, but like, there are enough in DC Comics that I think they should form a support group or something. Basically, in conclusion, we are both vaguely aware of Batman and Batman related characters. But we haven't really consumed that much media about Batman until now. Until now. Like I said earlier, we're going to be talking about the comic book storyline, Batman Under the Red Hood, and the animated film of the same name, which is basically about that time that Batman's Robin died, stayed dead for a really long time, and then came back to life and was really unhappy and started killing people. So I think before we properly jump into a discussion of this comic and movie, we should maybe include a brief explanation of who Jason Todd is and also the iconic storyline A Death in the Family that featured his death. So, okay, Jason Todd, as we said, second Robin, aka the kid sidekick of Batman. He was introduced in 1983 as a replacement for Dick Grayson, the original Robin, who had been Robin for something like 40 years, I think, but had eventually aged out of the title, joined the Teen Titans, and become Nightwing, therefore meaning that Batman needed another sidekick, so they introduced Jason, and he was not, as far as I can tell, a very popular replacement for Robin. I was obviously not alive when this happened, and I have not read a lot of comics in this era, but he was just like, generally received as a less popular replacement for a very popular and beloved character as as far as I understand. And so DC Comics was aware of this. So in 1988, DC Comics had the idea to allow fans into the process of writing comics and influence a decision in one of their major storylines. And so they chose to have people vote by telephone about whether or not Jason Todd should live or die at the end of a now very famous storyline called A Death in the Family. And so people would call in and vote either kill him or don't kill him. And kill him won by only 72 votes. There's an urban legend that like one person was behind this by calling repeatedly because I guess they hated Jason Todd that much, but no one knows for sure. And so the end result was that he was in fact killed off at the end of the storyline. More specifically, he was kidnapped by the Joker while attempting to find his biological mother brutally beaten with a crowbar, left tied up in a warehouse as it exploded, and then died. And this was also at the age of 15. That's honestly pretty brutal. Yeah, DC Comics was not messing around with this death. And so after Jason died, he was eventually replaced by the third Robin, Tim Drake, who was much more popular, did not get killed off, and had a very long, successful run as Batman's Robin. And I believe today, like, if you say Robin, a lot of people will think of Tim Drake because he's a pretty popular character. And so for a super long time, apparently, neither of us were born yet, so I was obviously not reading comics during this era. That was just kind of how it was in Batman comics. Batman had three Robins, and one of them became Nightwing, one of them died, and one of them was the current Robin. However, in 2003, there was a Batman comic called Hush, 
that featured an issue where an apparently alive and adult Jason kidnapped Tim, took him to a graveyard, and yelled at everyone about being forgotten and replaced. Eventually, this version of Jason was revealed to actually be a shape-shifting villain called Clayface in disguise, but the seeds of what if Jason Todd wasn't dead slash what if he came back to life had been planted, and this then led to a 2004-2006 comic book series called Batman Under the Red Hood, which is about spoilers for a comic that came out before either of us were old enough to read, Jason Todd returning from the dead, angry and vengeful and wanting to know why his death was never avenged. Also, the last thing I would like to tell you about Jason Todd is that if you would like an example of how many minor retcons one character can go through, please Google, is Jason Todd a redhead? So Batman Under the Red Hood is a 2004 comic written by Judd Winnick. And the general premise is, what if that dead Robin from the 80s came back and killed people because he wasn't that happy? This was pretty much one of the first Batman comics that I have read like of my own volition that wasn't assigned for school reading. It's part of a very fun freshman seminar which was kind of an interesting experience. Thankfully, there were these handy little character introductions at the start for Nightwing and Batman, etc., which were pretty helpful for me because as we've established, I really don't know that much about Batman comics. Like I went, Dick's parents died how? At his little character bio? Dick's backstory is kind of a lot, yeah. His parents were acrobats and died because of extortion or something and that has convinced him to go off and like serve justice and become a vigilante, which I didn't know anything about. Also, is forcing me to ask the question of how on earth does Nightwing's mask stay attached to his face? Because having read a comic that he's actually in now, it, it just sort of is on his face with no strings. And I have been wearing masks for several months at this point, And I can tell you, you usually need something to keep that on your face. He uses super glue, obviously. Or, or actually, would that be bat glue? Bat glue. Anyway, so the comic opens with Bruce fighting someone called Red Hood and being unmasked. And Red Hood then unmasks himself, and Bruce says, oh god. And then it flashes back to explain how they got there. And the comic is alternately narrated by Bruce and Alfred. So the basic setup of the beginning of this comic is that a guy called Black Mask, aka Roman Zionist, who you may remember from being in the Birds of Prey movie, has been taking over the Gotham criminal underworld, but is now being challenged by a newcomer in town, Red Hood, who is trying to take over the drug trade and generally like control crime in Gotham as well. And Batman spends a lot of time being like, this Red Hood guy seems awfully familiar, something about his fighting style and his methods, but they're really extreme. And so obviously it was kind of a foregone conclusion for both of us that Red Hood was actually Jason Todd because he's been Red Hood for like longer than he was ever Robin at this point. But like the original storyline was, I believe, very shocking when it first came out because it's very careful not to show you Red Hood's face or any real details about him until the big reveal. So like this was a big plot twist when it came out, even if we can't actually remember when that happened because we were like three. Right. So Batman doesn't know who Red Hood is. And the reader is not really supposed to know who Red Hood is, except just because we've been around and know things about superhero comics and because I have literally talked about this comic in a class that I took in college, we all knew that it was Jason Todd going in. And so Bruce just spends kind of a lot of time wandering around and trying to figure out who this Red Hood newcomer is and facing down Black Mask. And there's a lot of stuff about Red Hood very ruthlessly taking over the criminal enterprise that Black Mask had going on. Jason Todd is Red Hood is basically the Darth Vader's Luke Skywalker's father of DC Comics, but like it was a big plot twist and it was the first revealed. I think the bit in this comic when I was like, oh, stuff is about to get serious is when Red Hood goes and beats up the Joker and there is a full page spread of him just wailing on the Joker with a crowbar. 
at the end of which he says, tell me, how does that feel? And I was like, oh, oh boy, okay, let's, we're, we're going somewhere intense now, okay. It was really intense, yeah. And then the, this is when he takes off his mask the first time and the reader sees like, oh, it's someone who looks kind of a lot like an older version of Batman's dead Robin. And you're like, oh, so we see where this is going now, but Batman doesn't know this yet. But the weird thing is that Red Hood wears the Domino mask under his Red Hood mask, which also the name Red Hood is kind of misleading. It's really more, it's really more of like a mask that covers his whole head. Red Hood, I believe, was the name of a gang that the Joker was in before he became the Joker. So Jason taking this name on as he goes and gets vengeance on the Joker is sort of like a dark irony thing. But the point is that his face is covered. You're not supposed to know who he is. It's doubly covered even. Then there's kind of honestly a, a sort of funny sequence where Bruce runs around asking everyone he knows who's an expert on resurrection or has died and come back for advice. So he talks to Zatanna Zatara, who's kind of a magical stage magician person. He talks to Superman, who's died and come back to life. He's talked to Green Arrow, who's died and come back to life. And it was just very comic book because deaths really don't stick in comic books. So the fact that Bruce Wayne can just be like, ring, ring, yes, hello, I'd like to talk to you about resurrection. What are your thoughts on dying, coming back to life? is just so superhero comic. The fact that there are just enough people that they could do a whole montage of it was kind of funny. Also, also, this is the first time that I realized Green Arrow actually dresses like Robin Hood, so that made me laugh really hard. Yeah, I mean, I'd seen a couple episodes of the Arrow TV show, but his costume is much more serious and less I'm going to a renaissance fair kind of thing. Anyway, that's not relevant, but I thought it was kind of funny. Yeah, anyway, so as we see from this comic, Red Hood, although he does kill people, seems to have his own sort of really extreme moral code, such as he works with drug dealers, but he forbids them from dealing to kids on the grounds of a very painful death. And we do see people deal to kids and then get murdered by Red Hood. So it's like he has a very strong moral code. It's just a very morally gray one, which I thought was quite interesting because there are characters in comics that have very strong moral codes, such as Batman or Superman, but they're usually like very solidly good ones. Whereas in this case, he's like, I'm doing bad things, but it's for a good reason, which I thought was very interesting even off the bat, like before it started digging into like his serious rivalry with Batman. Or even not, I'm doing bad things for a good reason, but I'm doing bad things, but there's a limit as to what I'm gonna do that's bad, which I think is quite interesting. It's, it's a very morally gray thing where he has this code that he follows very strictly, but it's not necessarily what we consider a good code. It's like lawful good, but the law is not one that you would think would be a law. Yeah, kind of. Another interesting moment with this character is when he encounters this other vigilante named Onyx, who I was not familiar with at all starting this comic. They don't really get along, and at one point Red Hood stabs her, but then he helps her, so I guess it's okay. And as Onyx is kind of swearing at him for just having been stabbed, she says, you son of a... And Red Hood says hey, it's going to be hard to learn a great many things about me, but one I'll give you for free. I am no one's son. And that was kind of the moment where I was like, oh no, this is gonna go somewhere. Okay. I knew that I had managed to like get you into this comic because you texted me, I am going to eat a rock when you got to that line and it made me laugh, but also I could tell that you were like invested in it now. I wish I could explain what that meant, but that was just my visceral reaction to this where I was like, oh boy, we're going somewhere. So eventually after that, we get to the bit that opens the comic where Red Hood's identity is revealed, but we don't know who he is. Eventually it like leads back up to that moment with filling in the moments before then. And Batman is like, oh God. And then Red Hood says, no, want to guess again and takes off his helmet and you see that it's Jason. 
we love a man with a sense of humor. <laughs> yeah, the thing about Jason is that he is really funny. Like, it's a very sardonic sense of humor, but it is funny. Like, there's some point where some gangsters are like, are you crazy? And he's like, no, but you know what's crazy? Yelling at the person who's carrying a gun. And I was like, this is funny. Should I be rooting for him? I don't know, but I am. Right. So after this moment, Bruce recognizes him as Jason. And Jason offers a blood sample to prove it's really him. And he's like, it doesn't matter if I'm a ghost or a zombie or a clone, because that's not what this is really about. So Batman asks him, what is this really about? And Red Hood just says, it's about you, what you are and what I'll be. And Batman says, you know, what are you going to be? And Jason basically says that he thinks that he is going to be a more effective version of Batman, the one who can kind of take the measures that need to be taken no matter how drastic they are. The one who kind of understands that Gotham is a dark place and you have to get on its level to survive and to tame it. It's a good speech because up until then you kind of get the sense that like Jason slash Red Hood has a moral code, but you're not totally sure where it's going. And in this case, you kind of realize that it's like he's decided that what Batman is doing to control crime in Gotham isn't enough. You can't just put the supervillains in Arkham Asylum. You have to kill them. Like he really believes that there are some people that deserve to die and that Batman not doing that means that he's like weak and can't properly control the city. So it's a very interesting speech because it's someone who has a very different outlook on the world than Batman does, but he's absolutely convinced it's the right one. Right. I mean, the bit where he says, if you had killed the Joker years ago, beyond what had happened to me, you know what hell you would have saved this world. But no, his murder is a long list of sane acts you refuse to commit. You refuse to cross that line but I will. So Jason sees Bruce as being kind of weak, as not being willing to take the measures that he sees as necessary. And he thinks that he can kind of step up and be the man that Gotham deserves instead of Batman. Yeah, basically he says, I'll be the one who finally brings peace to Gotham. And Batman says, no, you won't. And Jason just says, the saddest part is that you really believe that. And then he blows up a building to make his dramatic escape and the scene ends. Another important point is that this scene takes place in the rain because I think it is possibly always raining in Gotham, especially when people are giving each other dramatic rooftop speeches. I think the only time it's not raining in Gotham is when Batman and Catwoman are making out on rooftops because that would ruin the mood. I mean, it depends what kind of mood you're going for, I guess. But anyway, so this I thought was a good scene because you would kind of expect like the reunion between like a sidekick and superhero who are kind of like a father and son after learning that one of them came back from the dead would be like really emotional but it's actually very angry because Jason feels like that he was like trained to be a hero by someone who doesn't have the strength to actually do what it takes to like be a hero and like permanently get rid of the villains and it's a very interesting outlook I feel like sometimes comics can go a little bit too far with like the the heroes are dark and gritty and they do bad things but I think I liked this speech because it really does feel like he has like this conviction that because something bad happened to him, he thinks that the world needs to have like bad things happen to villains. Right. It's very interesting and it sets up the core moral conflict between Batman and Red Hood really well. And after this confrontation, Bruce checks the blood that Jason gave him and it checks out and it says this is Jason Todd. But he goes and obsessively checks Jason's grave and can't figure out why it's empty and why it seems like no one has ever been buried in this coffin. And he can't figure out how someone who seems to be, according to science and his own eyes and what he knows in his heart, Jason Todd, has come back to life. And it remains kind of a mystery for most of this comic because 
for some reason they saved it for a Batman annual instead of explaining it in the actual Red Hood arc, which is a little odd, but I guess that's what happens in comics sometimes. Yeah, well, this story is kind of less about how Jason came back to life and more about what he does once he is back. And like they do eventually explain how it happens in like an annual that's at the back of the volume that we read. But this main story is kind of like more about what he's doing when he's alive. And so after this, there's sort of a flashback about Jason, which is narrated by Alfred Pennyworth, Bruce's butler. And it explains how Jason first met Bruce when he was a street kid who stole a tire from the Batmobile, uh, which also introduced me to the fact that apparently Crime Alley is a real place in the DC universe, and that is where Batman's parents were murdered. And I have to say, that is just a little too on the nose. A little bit, yeah. Also, it is exhibit B of why I can't take Batman seriously, which is the fact that there is something called the Batmobile in Batman comics. And I just, the thing about Batman is that Batman is kind of silly, but because he's so dark and gritty, I'm expected to take him seriously, even when stuff is silly, like the word Batmobile or Robin's outfit. And I'm not saying this to diss on superhero comics. I think it is important to embrace the silly parts of superhero comics in order to love them. But Batman does not want to acknowledge that it is silly, and therefore I have problems with it. I don't think that's an issue with this particular comic because the core of it is like really this emotional confrontation between a father and son and not like people doing things in the Batmobile or like fighting crime with their bat suits. So like it's not really a problem in this comic, but I do agree that the whole bat theme can sometimes be a little bit difficult to take seriously. Like there are many parts of superhero comics that are silly that I can be down with. Like, I love X-Men comics, and they're often very silly and bizarre, but they're not always asking me to take them as seriously as Batman is a thing. Anyway, but basically this flashback kind of establishes how Jason became the Robin and how he first met Bruce, which is by being kind of this clever street kid who managed to steal one of the Batmobile's tires, despite that seemingly being impossible. Also, he is very small in this flashback and not wearing a mask, and I was like, oh no, this is a small child. <laughs> this is going to he go really badly for you. He really is a small child. Like, this comic does a good job of emphasizing that Jason was really young when all of this stuff went down, which is why it's, like, so sad. And then what follows is kind of a montage of Jason being a chaotic Robin. And Alfred, who's reflecting on this, thinks that Bruce kind of liked fighting alongside Jason, but he also describes Jason having a mean streak and being dangerous. And this is paired with a flashback of him unnecessarily breaking a guy's collarbone, which I thought was kind of interesting because... At the time that I was reading Batman Under the Red Hood, I had just finished reading through a lot of classic X-Men comics that culminated in this giant crossover called Inferno, which is basically, it's a little hard to explain, but it's basically the time that Cyclops' wife became an evil demonic sorceress. But it's complicated because initially she was just supposed to be like a cool woman who was like genuinely his wife and was the mother of his son and was not supposed to become a villain. And they retroactively had to make Madeline Pryor, this wife, become a lot worse in hindsight to justify her becoming a supervillain and then dying. So having just read through the great tragedy of Madeline Pryor, I was a little suspicious about how much this characterization was a retcon because it seemed like if you wanted to bridge the gap between Jason the Robin and Jason as Red Hood, retroactively establishing that Jason had been kind of this dangerous, violent Robin would be a good way to do that. But I also think in some ways that kind of, I don't know, lessens the tragedy of him becoming Red Hood if he's already sort of going down a dark path as a child. 
I think I can speak to this a tiny bit because like I said, I haven't actually managed to read any of the 80s comics with Jason as Robin because they're not like available through my library, but I did do some research on it in preparation for this episode. And like we said, Jason was meant as a replacement for Dick Grayson, but he was a lot less popular, which I think was partially just because he was replacing really iconic character who'd been around for a while. But also he was like a street kid who had a slightly bad attitude, but like he was still a kid. There is apparently this heated debate that's been going on for something like 30 years about whether or not Robin Jason once pushed a bad guy off a roof or if he just fell. And so I think there's definitely like some hints in like his original characterization that he's maybe a little bit more violent than his predecessor, but they definitely, I think, would turn it up a bit to an extreme in this comic just to like bridge the gap. Because the thing about Jason as a Robin was that he was 15, like he was a kid, maybe he had some anger issues, maybe he was like a little bit more violent than Bruce wanted him to be, but he was still a really young teenager. And the tragedy of his character is that like, he was a teenager who wanted to be a hero and then something like really bad happened to him that fundamentally changed him as a person. So basically he was an unpopular character partially due to like maybe having killed someone, which is why they did the whole calling in whether or not to vote Jason lives or dies, but he definitely was not as violent as he was in this comic. Ah, okay. That makes sense, I suppose. It's also just wild to me that people were allowed to call in and vote on whether Jason should die or not, and people voted yes. Because I know that, for instance, in the current era of X-Men comics, they let people vote to see who they wanted to be on the current X-Men team. But I feel like voting whether you want someone to die and then actually having them die is a whole different thing. And honestly, it just reminds me of that time that there was like some open vote for people to name a boat and people named it Bodie McBoatface. Like I feel like sometimes if they're given the option to vote, they will go with the most chaotic option. And I feel like I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people voted yes to kill Jason just to see if they would. And we're like, oh wow, they actually did that. Jason Todd is Bodie McBoatface is not a conclusion that I was expecting to come out of this episode. And yet it, I find it works oddly well. They're both victims of the whims of democracy. It's also kind of wild to me that when people voted yes, DC just didn't, they weren't just like, we're going to like very quickly kill off Jason. They made it like a whole like extended arc and his death was like really brutal and drawn out. And that's just kind of wild to me because in this current era of comics, maybe if you're lucky, you get to vote who like the final member of the X-Men team is, but you don't get to influence whether or not characters live or die. Maybe, I guess they were just like, if we're going to commit to this kid dying, we are going to go all the way, pull out all the stops. He's going to die in the worst way possible. I guess if you're going to do that, you might as well go all the way. So anyway, after this kind of like flashback filling in who Jason was as a Robin, like what he was like before he died, it gets back to the main storyline of Under the Red Hood. And there's like some more stuff with Black Mask, who's kind of set up as like a villain in in the beginning of the arc but is not actually that important in the grand scheme of things and Black Mask is kind of mad at Jason for taking over his like criminal underworld enterprises and sends a bunch of uh super villain gangsters to like kill him and it's kind of a whole thing. Also it includes the line oh my goodness gracious I've been bamboozled when Black Mask tries to set up an ambush for Jason which is a deeply iconic line in many ways. For many years, this was the only line that I knew about Jason Todd. This was just like the only thing I knew that he said that line. It's iconic for a reason though, I think. It's very funny. And then there's this fight in which Jason kills these bad guys who are trying to kill him, which upsets Bruce and like, come on, Bruce. I I know you're all about not killing people. One of those people was literally a Nazi. I think it's okay if you kill him. 
Yeah, like this man's name was literally Captain Nazi. And then Batman must have like, oh my God, Jason, how could you kill him? And I was like, he's a Nazi, Bruce. Anyway, so this is overlaid by narration from Alfred about the time that Jason told him that he knows that all the bad guys know that Batman won't kill them and how that affects how he thinks that that makes them less afraid and they like don't really believe in Batman's justice, which is kind of interesting. Also, there's this kind of little subplot about how Bruce Wayne used to collect first editions of books and Jason used to help. And Jason sends a package to Alfred that supposedly is a first edition book, but it also contains a lock of the Joker's hair. Dun, dun, dun. My other important takeaway is that Jason Todd is a book nerd. Thank you, DC Comics, for confirming this. Then there's this giant moment where it looks like Black Mask has killed Red Hood, but it's actually someone else in the mask because, you know, what's the point of having this mask that covers your whole face if you're not going to send in someone else as a decoy to die? But there is this moment when Bruce sees that Red Hood has died and goes, not again! And I was like, oh, come on, I'm having like some slight Batman emotions. Okay, okay, you got me! How dare the Batman comic make you have emotions about Batman? And this segues into the big confrontation between Jason and Bruce that I'm going to let you explain because I was very confused about parts of this when I read it. (laughs) Okay, so during this confrontation, I believe there was this other big crossover event happening at the same time. So at one point they like look over and see that like a neighboring city has been blown up and it's the city that Nightwing was living in, but that's not really relevant to this. Uh, Despite what Lulu thought when she first read this, Jason did not blow up the entire city just to kill his older brother. I thought he was going through some serious sibling rivalry and I was like, wow, I know he was more ambiguous, but I didn't think he blew up an entire city. And then Pi was like, no, Lulu, this was an unrelated crossover event. So we can all tell that sometimes my lack of Batman knowledge comes back to bite me. Yeah, no, I think this was part of some event called like Infinite Crisis. Actually, the member of the Bat family that Jason has beef with is Tim Drake, because imagine you're the youngest child and then you come back to life and suddenly you're a middle child. Imagine what would that do to you? That would just, sometimes that can be a villain origin story. So that's like a little bit in the beginning of the confrontation and Jason was like, oh no, it looks like a, another one of your kids has died, Bruce, but actually he didn't because why would you kill off Nightwing? Um, so he's actually fine. And then this begins a speech from Jason towards Bruce that did in fact slightly kill me dead because he talks about how Bruce says, it's okay, I understand that you hate me for not saving you. I'm sorry that I couldn't save you. Like that's one of the things that haunts me most. And Jason says, Bruce, I forgive you for not saving me, but why, why on God's earth is he still alive? And he's talking about the Joker because he says that Jason would have avenged Bruce if it was the other way around. If the Joker had killed Batman, Jason would have gone to the ends of the earth to kill Joker and make sure that his mentor was avenged. And then Bruce just says that it's too easy to kill the Joker and he won't let himself go down that path because he thinks there's no returning. And Jason replies, I'm not talking about killing Cobblepot and Scarecrow or Clayface, not Riddler or Dent. I'm talking about him, just him, and doing it because, because he took me away from you. And the important context obviously here is that Cobblepot and Scarecrow and all the rest are other Batman villains. They're not the ones that killed Jason and he doesn't have this grudge against them. Specifically, they're not the one who killed Batman's adoptive son. And this is like, it gave me a lot of emotions. It was a good speech. I feel like a lot of comics do like the should Batman break his moral code and kill dilemma. But I think this one 
hits particularly hard because like Jason says, he doesn't want Batman to kill all the bad guys. He just wants him to kill one and only one and only because of like one specific bad thing that he did. This is really the crux of the conflict between Red Hood and Batman because Batman's like, there is a line that I will never cross no matter what happens, no matter what terrible things the Joker does, even if he personally hurts me. And Jason's philosophy is that Sometimes when people are bad enough and do terrible enough things, you have to take them out, like, because there's no other alternative. And, but the way that he frames it as, I don't want to kill the Joker because he killed me. I want to kill him because he took me away from you. I think really emphasizes that he was just a kid when this happened and that he was just a 15 year old who was killed in an intensely brutal way by a sadistic supervillain. And that's what really has changed him. Not like dying, coming back to life. It's the fact that he was just a kid when he died and the guy who was supposed to protect him he sees as having failed in that duty. Yeah other comics will later get into how Jason came back to life but I think really it's not that like he was mystically brought back to life that changed him it's the fact that he came back and learned that the person who killed him so brutally is still alive and walking around and that Batman didn't avenge his death and I think that's really what causes him to tip into becoming Red Hood. This leads into the big showdown where Jason gives Bruce an ultimatum and is like, I'm either going to kill the Joker in front of you or you're going to have to kill me to stop me. And like, basically either way, someone is going to die tonight and you're just going to have to decide who. And I was a little surprised by the way that this showdown ends because Bruce takes out a batarang, which is a boomerang shaped like a bat and another one of the silly things that Batman comics want me to take seriously that I can't take seriously. Anyway, he takes out a batarang and while Jason is standing there with a gun to the Joker's head, he throws it at Jason and kind of slices his neck and Jason like falls to the ground, the Joker escapes and then the building explodes presumably with Jason's body in it. And it ends on this very ambiguous, tragic note with this speech from Bruce about how fate is a funny thing. It swells up like raging waters that we are forced to travel. It provides no exit, no deviation. It drops us in a bottomless ocean and compels us. We either swim or drown. And sometimes as we struggle against the tide, a great truth arises. And then the comic just ends. And I honestly thought that maybe I had skipped a page or there was like one more page behind it because I, I was like, wait, what do you mean it's over? But no, it just does end with this really ambiguous and tragic ending with both Batman and the reader unsure if Jason even survived the end of the comic, if maybe he came back to life only to die again in search of vengeance. And I was actually very interested in this ending. Like at first I was like, what do you mean that's it? And then I did think it was interesting because like, is there a good way to resolve this dilemma? Like if Batman won't kill and Red Hood wants him to, then how can you resolve it? And maybe like the ambiguous ending is the only way to do it. But there is a little bit more in the trade volume that I was reading, which collected the whole under the Red Hood storyline. And there's final two issues in the back. And one is the annual where it explains how Jason came back to life. And the other one is the first issue where Jason comes back and confronts Bruce and all that. I don't really know why they didn't print the second of these two issues at the front because it would have saved me a lot of confusion because Jason references events that happened in that because they fought in the graveyard and Bruce realized that someone who at least looked like Jason was back. And that's what kind of segues into the whole Under the Red Hood storyline that they included that at the end of the bind up, which is maybe the most confusing place you could have put it. Yeah, I guess it's because it's part of the storyline Hush and not the Under the Red Hood storyline. So they just included it in the back of our edition, at least. Um, 
Originally, he actually was supposed to just be a shapeshifter who was trying to throw Bruce off balance and that there was no actual intention of making this person actually be Jason and Todd come back to life as far as I know. But I guess then Judd Winnick, who wrote this comic, thought that it was a really cool idea and persuaded him to write the Red Hood storyline a few years later. So like it's a relevant issue to like the story of how Red Hood came into existence and Jason Todd came back, but it's not actually part of this plot line. The whole thing is basically one big retcon because they're like, no, it's a shapeshifter. No, it was really Jason. And it's a little confusing. Also, I have a bone to pick. Jason has a really cool white hair streak in this issue and he doesn't have it when he comes back later. And I think they should have kept it because A, it looks cool and B, it differentiates him from the other black haired Mel Robbins of which there are fairly a lot of. Yeah, the thing is, is like in a lot of fan art of Jason Todd, he has like a white streak of hair at the front of his head, which is like a thing that in the comics he supposedly gained after coming back to life. But I haven't actually read anything where they consistently draw him with the hair streak. Like he has it in that issue of Batman Hush, which is confusing because that wasn't even supposed to be Jason. So I don't know why it's there. And then he has it in part of the annual, but he doesn't have it in this comic or anything else that I read him in, which I think is maybe because he's supposed to dye it, but like, if so, why would you give him this thing that differentiates him from the other Robins in the first place and also looks cool if you're not going to use it? Right. I'm, I think they should bring it back permanently because Tim and Dick and Jason look really similar when they're not wearing uniforms. And I think it would be helpful for me because sometimes I am dumb and I read comics and can't tell people apart. So basically it's Jason Todd and the case of the mysterious disappearing white hair streak. The second issue that's collected at the back is the explanation for Jason's resurrection, which is, to put it mildly, kind of insane. It really is. It relies slightly on knowledge of like a prior comic event involving, I don't know, the multiverse and the evil teenage Superman who was imprisoned. And then he like punched the universe and changed reality and undid Jason's death so he never died. It was like part of a ripple effect of like changing the multiverse or something. I'm not entirely sure like exactly where this idea came from. And I think it was mostly just like a way to bring Jason back to life. My main thought when reading this was just, Mr. Winnick, I'm not sure you thought this through because it was very odd and did not make that much sense to me. I did really like the part, however, when Jason comes back to life and he's buried like in his coffin and he has to claw his way out of his grave with his belt buckle. And then he stumbles along for 12 miles before being brought up and picked up and like brought to a hospital. And the only word he's able to utter is Bruce because I was like, oof, okay, all right, that hit a little bit. Yeah, I was like, I have no idea how this reality bending means that someone can come back to life, but that was a good moment, so I'm not going to complain about it too much. I mean, a lot of the tragedy of Jason Todd is just really bad things happening to a young guy who doesn't deserve them. So the fact that even his resurrection was this like really brutal, horrific thing where he could have died a second time if he didn't have the strength to literally claw his way out of his grave. It's pretty intense. I kind of like that, even if I didn't really get, you know, how he actually got brought back to life. So after this, Jason ends up in a hospital and is basically like brain dead and in a vegetative state because he still has all of the injuries the Joker inflicted on him during his death, which was like, you know, enough to kill him the first time around. So he's basically in a hospital for a while. And then eventually he escapes and fights someone who recognizes him as the supposedly dead Robin. And then these characters called the Al Ghouls come in, Reich and Talia Al Ghul, who are a pair of Batman villains who are also like, sometimes allies and sometimes Talia dates Batman. I don't know. There's a lot going on there. They run the League of Assassins and Talia is, I believe, 
the mother of the youngest Robin, Damian Wayne, but I don't really know much about these characters. So the most relevant thing about this is that they recognize him as Jason Todd and they take him in because Rachel Ghoul is like, well, maybe having like the resurrected Robin could be useful. We could figure out like how he came back to life or like maybe use him against Batman or something. But because he's like basically brain dead, they can't figure out how he came back to life because he can't tell them. And also like he wouldn't know if he couldn't tell them. So they just kind of like plunk him down in like a mansion in the assassin's guild for a few years and then talia comes up with the idea to try to bring him like fully back to life and that's where this thing called the lazarus pit comes in which is like this mystical pool in the dc comics universe that Rachel ghoul like regularly bathes in and will like revitalize him and make him immortal he's about 700 i think but he looks like he's in his 50s so obviously it works pretty well and talia comes up with the idea of dunking jason in the lazarus pit to see if that will restore his memories which she does against the strict orders of her father. So he's kind of mad about that. And so Jason comes back to life and Talia is like, Jason, you remain unavenged. Bruce never killed the Joker. He took on another apprentice, like you're alive, but he doesn't know that. And so that's kind of like how he came back to life. It's a little bit convoluted because there's a reality punch thing, ripple effect and the Lazarus pit, but that's how it went down in the comics. There's also a bit where Talia kisses him and I was like, Talia, no, that is basically your stepson. What's up with that? Don't like that. I have some really bad news for you about the comic series Red Hood, The Lost Days, but I'm not going to talk about that right now. I don't want to know. I'm ignoring it. I'm looking away. I do not see it. However, on a different note, uh, the narration of this annual comic kind of poses the question if the Lazarus Pit and the resurrection is responsible for Jason's sudden change of heart, or if it was him learning his killer is alive. And I think that's really what seems to turn him into the murderous Red Hood. It's not like the weird mystical Lazarus pit that they dunked him in that made him like become evil. It was him learning that he died and Bruce just replaced him and did not avenge him. And that seems to be what kind of turns him down a dark path and makes him become the Red Hood, which, you know, it was overall a pretty weird issue. And I was like, I'm not exactly sure what's going on several times, but I do think that progression of character was quite interesting. The fact that nothing except like him being unavenged causes him to become the Red Hood, I think makes sense from a character perspective and really kind of adds to the tragedy of Jason Todd. Like I just said, there's also a comic miniseries called Red Hood, The Lost Days, also by Judd Winnick, which is kind of elaborating on the stuff in the Batman annual about Jason's time with the Al Ghuls and his training before he went back to Gotham. Because after he came back to life, he was like, I'm going to train and become better than Batman so I can come back and confront him. And so this comic series is kind of about that. It may be very sad. I think DC Comics should like stop making Jason Todd cry because it makes me upset. But I thought it was good because it also does like a good job of exploring where he gets his very extreme moral code from and like how upset and betrayed he is by learning that Bruce didn't avenge his death and let the Joker go free and ended up taking on another apprentice. So basically it does explain how he came back to life and how he transformed from Robin into the Red Hood, which like didn't quite make sense, but I thought the character progression made sense. I guess Jason was supposed to be maybe in his early twenties while this plotline was happening because he was a teenager and he died and it seemed like he, a couple years passed while he was training and kind of returning to good health so I guess he's maybe like 20 21 when he, this all happens and he faces down Batman yeah which is like pretty young that's like my age well Jason Todd can't be 
too old because then Dick can't be too old because then Batman can't be too old. So it's like a reverse domino effect because like the Robins can't really age because Batman can't get too old. Like you can't have a 30 year old like Dick Grayson because then Batman would be like 60. Anyway, I think the main takeaway from this annual was that his the explanation for like how he actually came back to life is definitely like a little bit convoluted and kind of like a quintessential comic book, really wild things are happening. But like the character progression of him coming back to life under these really intense circumstances and then learning that like his adoptive father has kind of like moved on and forgotten him. And that's what drives him to like this quest for vengeance was I think very well done and I find it compelling. However, this is not the end of this episode or of the story of Jason Todd, because next we are going to be moving on to talking about Batman Under the Red Hood, which is a 2010 animated movie adapting the original comic with some differences to the storyline. It was directed by Brendan Vieta and written by Judd Winnick, who also wrote the comic. Um, sorry, I don't know where I was going with that. Also, I feel compelled to point out that the voice actor for Jason Todd in this movie also played Dean Winchester on Supernatural, which for me is kind of wild because I witnessed like the tw- great November 2020 Supernatural meltdown and it was really kind of wild to realize there's like a connection between that and this movie. Uh, not to mention the, one of the clubs that Red Hood takes place takes over at one point is called the Rusty Nail, which I'm sure has deep and saddening implications for the Supernatural fandom as of November 2020. I am going to come to your college and murder you. I didn't think you were actually going to bring that up on this podcast. You can delete it. You're the one editing. If you are not- You just said you didn't know what you're saying next, and I I felt like I had to say something. If you're not fully aware of Pia's referencing, Dean Winchester was the lead on the extremely long-running TV show Supernatural, and his character died by being impaled on a rusty nail when the show ended last November. Anyway, I'm sorry for bringing that up, but you said I don't know what else to say, so I felt like I had to say something. (laughs) I didn't want you to bring up Supernatural. Anyway, the point being, it is an animated movie. Neither of us have seen Supernatural, so we're going to stop talking about that now. We we will, yes. So uh, this movie has pretty much the same plot as the comic. Red Hood arrives in Gotham, becomes a crime lord. Batman discovers that he's really chased and come back from the dead. They have a confrontation about vengeance and like murdering the Joker and then there's kind of an ambiguous slash tragic ending that makes it unclear if Jason is alive or dead. This movie does have a little bit of expansion of the events because it opens with a flashback to Jason's very brutal murder at the hands of the Joker that occurred during the comic storyline prior to Under the Red Hood. So it kind of opens with that to give like the viewer a bit of context for who Jason is and what happened to him even if you haven't actually read A Death in the Family. Yeah, that was a really brutal way to open the movie. This movie also doesn't really try to hide the fact that Jason Todd is Red Hood because at this point it's pretty much common knowledge because the comic had been out for several years. There are also a couple of differences in the plot. The character of Onyx is completely adapted out. The Joker plays a bit more of an active role other than just being dragged around by Jason. There's tragically no montage of Batman going around to talk to resurrected superheroes, as funny as I thought it was. And there is a much more straightforward reveal of Jason's identity. Nightwing does appear in this movie, but Tim Drake doesn't seem to exist in this universe, or at least no one mentions him, which implies that if Tim doesn't exist, that means Batman never took on another sidekick in this universe after the second one died, which honestly makes the whole thing just like extra sad. 
it's a pretty short movie, only about 115 minutes, but I thought it did a fairly good job of adapting the storyline. And honestly, in some ways, I think improved on the comic book storyline. I thought the scene where Jason confronts Bruce about not killing the Joker was really good. The voice acting was very well done. And like the anguish in it, like the fact that he's anguished and not just like blindly angry was like very well expressed. I think it made me sad. Yeah, I thought that was a good scene. Definitely one that benefited from, you know, voice acting. Also, instead of just ending with the confrontation between Jason and Bruce, there's a flashback to Jason's first day as Robin which ends with him declaring, this is the best day of my life. And then the movie fades to black, which I thought was very rude because he is just a small child. It was so rude because you've just watched like this horribly sad scene of like this grown up Jason who's like really traumatized and angry and like really furious at his like father figure for abandoning him. And then it just cuts back to them both. And they're like so much like younger and much more innocent and really excited to like go out and fight crime and save the day. And then it just like cuts to black like immediately after that. And then you're just sitting there being like, what did I live through? I'm in distress. I think in some ways this movie felt a bit like a second draft for the comic book storyline because they slightly changed how Jason came back to life. And they slightly changed how the confrontation between Bruce and Jason goes down at the end, both in ways that I thought improved it pretty well. So the way that Jason comes back to life in this movie amidst the weird reality bending, punching universe ripple effect, which, you know, was kind of weird. And instead it just had this version be that Ra's al Ghul stuck Jason in the Lazarus pit because he felt bad about an innocent dying in the crossfire because he had sort of hired the Joker to go be naughty and cause chaos and felt bad when this innocent 15 year old died because of that uh so I think that makes just more sense than like the Superman thing because it just ties it more closely to Batman lore and it's just not utterly wild and weird my main question about this adaptational chase is Mr. Al Ghul sir why did you wrap Jason in mummy bandages before dunking him in the Lazarus pit did you think that he would like feel safe and welcome when he woke up in a giant glowy pit covered in mummy bandages like why did you do that that was kind of bizarre Also, in this universe, he's like, I'm going to bring Jason back to life to atone for this, like, horrible crime that I was accidentally involved in creating, and then I'll bring him back to life, and it will all be okay. And then he, like, dunks Jason in the Lazarus pit, and Jason comes back to life and is, like, basically, like, frightened out of his mind and, like, screaming hysterically and then runs away and jumps off a cliff. And Rachel Ghoul is just that thing, like, well, that sure happened. Yeah, I was like, sir, how did you think this was going to go down? The other way that I mentioned that this movie changes the storyline of the comic is the way that the confrontation between Bruce and Jason ends because even though this movie sticks very close to the storyline and dialogue of the original comic which makes sense because they're both written by the same person I think the final confrontation between Bruce and Jason just has a better ending in this because I think having Bruce choose to take out Jason's like by throwing a sharp boomerang and possibly killing him just didn't quite work for me, but in this version, Bruce throws the batarang. I can't believe that's <laughs> that word. Anyway, Bruce throws the batarang at Jason's gun and that kind of destroys it. And then the bo- the building just explodes rather than having him sort of kill Jason, which I think just like made more sense for Bruce as a character to do. I agree. I think that confrontation went down a lot better because in the comic, the whole thing is that like Batman won't kill anyone so it doesn't make any sense that he would throw something at Jason with like presumably intent to kill him because like it slices his throat uh but in this case he throws it at the gun which makes a lot more sense because Batman hates guns because guns 
reused to kill his parents, which is like another reason why Jason is like much more hardcore than Batman because he uses guns. But in this case, it's like he throws it at the gun to destroy it, which means that like Jason's options of like either I kill the Joker or you kill me don't work because Batman found a third way. And I thought that was a much more satisfying ending for the confrontation. And then it, like it has the same ambiguous like maybe Jason is dead ending but only because the building exploded not because Batman maybe just killed his adoptive son. I just thought it made much more sense and I just think superhero stories are often about characters being confronted with two terrible choices and picking a third one because they refuse to pick the lesser of two evils and I think that fit pretty well into like that kind of idea so I think that just made much more sense and I kind of wonder if it was Jed Winnick looking at the old comic storyline and being like hmm I could rework this a little bit because I just think that made much more sense. I mean it's possible this movie came out about half a decade after the comic did I will say that although I appreciated the resurrection being more streamlined and not involving like weird reality bending stuff I'm a little bit sad that we lost the very hardcore scene of Jason having to dig himself out of his own grave because it was just like extremely hardcore and kind of made you realize like how horrible and traumatizing coming back to life also was and not just dying but they didn't include that in this for obvious reasons because Jason wasn't buried before coming back to life in this version right I agree I think people die and come back to life so much in superhero comics that sometimes it can lose a bit of its potency like the entire current era of X-Men comics is partially built on the fact that people can just die and come back to life and doesn't mean anything but I do think Under the Red Hood is sort of a unique storyline and that it looks at like how viscerally horrifying it would actually be to come back to life after you died in a really violent way. Yeah, I think one of the reasons that this particular comic hit me like so hard right now is that I've been busy reading my way through the current era of X-Men comics and the characters in that comic die a lot, but they do it really casually. Like they die knowing that they will come back and that their body will be totally fine and that everything is going to be okay. And in this case, like the resurrection is really horrifying and traumatizing. And like, you're viscerally like, oh wow, like superhero comics can get really intense. And I feel like sometimes superhero comics can sometimes just like ignore the fact that coming back to life is probably kind of traumatic. But in this case, like the whole thing about dying and coming back to life like is the whole point of this comic so unlike and I do think that the current era of X-Men comic is really interesting but unlike that this kind of like does take a deep look at what dying and being resurrected in a superhero comic would really like what kind of toll it would take on someone's mind and body. Ultimately I thought this movie was a pretty good adaptation of the comic and I think it actually improved on it in several ways not just because it left out the fact that Jason and Talia had a romantic relationship at one point which I thought was weird but I think the way that it kind of streamlined the element of the resurrection and tweaked the final confrontation between Bruce and Jason just made it like a pretty solid adaptation that actually improved on the source material, which I think is pretty rare for adaptations. Yeah, I also thought this was a really solid adaptation. I watched it pretty soon after the comic and it's just different enough that I think you can like enjoy it and see like how they improved on it. But it also has so many of the iconic parts of the original storyline, such as the confrontation between Jason and Bruce, that you can like watch it wanting to see those moments come to life and you do. It also made me really want a live action movie of Red Hood because this movie came out about 11 years ago and like it's a really solid animated movie. And I'm not saying that animation is like lesser than live action but I also think that the storyline would work really well in live action and there is like as we are recording actually there is a tv show titans which is doing 
some kind of live action adaptation of the Red Hood storyline, but I'm not really sure they kept anything from it besides like Jason died and now he came back to life and kills people, which kind of means they like missed some of the fundamental themes, I would argue. So I think it would be really cool to have like an actual live action adaptation of this with like the themes and characters and plot beats because it's a really good story. Yeah, and I think the way that it is not so much a story about killing bad guys as it is a story about your past come back to haunt you and you know it's it's a very emotional story about characters that should be on the same side finding themselves at odds would be pretty interesting to see in like a larger movie i think the i don't really know where the current batman movies are going or if there's like even a current live action batman cast but that could be interesting to see in a movie i think what makes the story compelling to me is that red hood is a really really good villain because he has a point and the point is so good that it basically pokes a hole in batman comics and batman's concepts and morals as a whole and he also exists like purely because of Bruce Wayne's failings which makes him a really interesting villain. Right because the contrast between the characters is that Bruce Wayne lives with the traumatic fallout of witnessing his parents murder as a child and that kind of puts him down this path of becoming a vigilante and being unwilling to kill people or use guns but Jason was the victim in this case not the witness and because he was so traumatically murdered it it is in a way easy to understand why he goes to become such an extreme person, but we can also still understand why Batman refuses to kill. And I, I do agree with you referring to Jason as a villain because I think he's a very sympathetic character in many ways because he exists as the result of this tragedy. But I would say as Red Hood, he definitely is a villain. Like he's not coming back to clean up Gotham or to serve justice. He's come back because he has an agenda specifically about confronting Bruce that he wants. Like he's still willing to kill people. He's still willing to work with villains. He's still willing to like run a criminal empire. He just has this really specific agenda and he wants revenge for himself. And he wants to confront the man that he sees as not being willing to take that revenge. So I would say he's still a villain, but he's a really compelling, interesting character because he purely exists because even though Bruce Wayne has become Batman and is powerful and can fight people, and is a force for good and justice, he was still unable to prevent this second major tragedy in his life. He lost his parents as a child, he becomes Batman, and then he's unable to prevent this second tragedy, and the tragedy literally comes back to haunt him. Yeah, exactly. And I think I would argue that like Jason has at least a few other goals in this comic besides just confronting Bruce like we do see him like killing drug dealers who dr who deal drugs to children but as we learned like basically overall his entire plan throughout the whole comic series is leading up to this one confrontation with his father so like he has some other motives about like cleaning up Gotham and like need to put the bad guys down for good but in the end it's like basically about him wanting to confront Batman and be like why didn't you avenge me? Why didn't you do what I think you should have done? So, you know, I would say that he's definitely more of a villain than an anti-hero in this particular comic. Also, Jason should probably go to therapy because murder is not therapy. Murder is not therapy. <laughs> I also think that the way that this kind of plays around with Batman's no-kill code is interesting because it really confronts the fact that Batman cannot kill the Joker. Like, Bruce Wayne cannot cross the line and kill people. Batman cannot kill the Joker because like if Batman started running around killing people, I'm assuming the Gotham City police would stop working with him and he would become the villain. But also, Batman also can't kill the Joker because narratively the Joker cannot die because Batman needs a nemesis and comics are never going to stop. And Batman needs a bad guy to face down like someone who can 
face down again and again and again as comics keep going on. But also because Batman can't kill Joker, Joker is going to continue inflicting pain and doing villainous things and creating villain superplots and killing people and stuff. So Jason is kind of right that because Batman can't get rid of Joker, the bad things happening are because of Joker still being around. But also Joker can't go away, both because of in-universe reasons, because of Batman's moral code, but also just because of the fact that you can't kill Joker, you need him to have Batman comics. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. And so that's why the final showdown between Bruce and Jason is so compelling, because they both have points. Like, Bruce won't cross that line, and Jason can't comprehend why Bruce won't cross that line. And they both have, like, these particular moral codes, and they really can't comprehend the other's ones or why they won't break it. And so you kind of, like, lead, it all leads to this confrontation of these characters being like, why won't you do this thing that I think is morally right, but you think is wrong? I tend to find the should Batman kill argument very boring. Like if you want to read about a vigilante who kills people, you could just go read Moon Knight or Midnighter or Red Hood. But in this case, Jason's need for Bruce to kill the Joker comes from such a personal place of like trauma and betrayal that it's really hard not to root for him. Like the fact that he got brought back to life and, the and then Talia immediately tells him like, you remain unavenged. And that's like one of the first thing that, things that he learns when he comes back to life. You can see like why he went down this path of vengeance because he just doesn't know what else to do besides like confront Bruce about this fact that he didn't kill the Joker. I imagine that Jason Todd is a bit of a problem character for DC Comics because He's honestly so sympathetic at times that, you know, he's still a villain. He still kills people. But the fact that his desire for Bruce to kill the Joker comes from such a personal place makes you kind of root for him. And you're like, I want to see this man who was once like a grievously murdered 15 year old, like see vengeance, that it might be kind of a problem because you don't actually want people to root for him over Batman. So I imagine that he might be a bit of a problem character because anytime he turns up, it's just bringing up like this other problem. It's like, if the Joker is never going to be redeemed, why won't Batman take him out of commission? But obviously that can't ever happen. So I imagine that it's sort of difficult to have Jason Todd around because he asks questions that are kind of difficult involving like the nature of comics. Yeah, pretty much. Like we said at the beginning of this episode, we haven't read a lot of Batman comics, so I'm not actually entirely sure what they did with Jason after the end of this. It turns out that he isn't dead, obviously, because you don't spend all of that time bringing back a character and giving them a new identity and a motivation and then just kill them off again at the end of the storyline, especially if it's like part of a comic series like Batman that basically is just going to keep going forever. I think they played him straight as a villain for a while, like the Grant Morrison era of Batman comics, and then he spent a while being written by Scott Lobdell in the series called Red Hood and the Outlaws, which is frankly a fate that no character deserves, and which causes me deep pain because as we discussed in our last episode, I don't like Scott Lobdell and I don't want to support his writing. And I also did try to read the first issue of this comic and it was like wildly misogynistic. So then I immediately put it down. That's unfortunate. Yeah, so I guess the thing that this shows is that like he is a problem character for DC because like what do you do with someone who was once like a hero and basically like a son to Batman and then came back and was basically like his arch nemesis? What do you do with that character, especially after the big confrontation? Because it's such a dramatic ending and then the whole thing is really ambiguous that I guess, I mean, I wouldn't know where to go for the storyline, but I guess I had to do something with him. Right, because I mean, I know that I'm bringing up X-Men comics a fair amount, but that's just like 
where my brain is currently when I'm reading comics, there are a fair amount of X-Men characters that start out pretty villainous and then become heroes. But Jason is the opposite in that he started out as a hero and became a villain. And I think it would be hard to really have him become a hero again without like filing off the edges that make him a really interesting character. Because what's interesting about him is the way that he is not necessarily a good person. I would consider him in this comic a villain rather than an anti-hero, but that's what makes him interesting. But also, you can't really keep him around if he's just a straight-up villain. Yeah, I mean, he's a well-written, tragic villain, but his ultimate motivation isn't fighting crime or taking down Black Mask. It is basically just to, like, confront Bruce about the issues that he has with him. So I think that would make him an antagonist, honestly. I did find this a really compelling dive into Batman comics because I feel like I don't see myself becoming a huge Batman fan in the future, but I just found the way that it was really not just a story about being cool and being good at fighting and having a cool bat cave with lots of technology, but sort of a story about what happens when you're confronted with impossible choices and the failures of your own past come back to haunt you and the way that it was very much a story about characters rather than just like performing vigilante justice while dressed as a flying mammal. Like, you know, I, I found like that because the emotional core of the story was so intense and interesting, that like, even though I'm not a huge Batman person, I did actually quite enjoy this comic. Yeah, I mean, I think you can enjoy Red Hood as a character because he's badass, but I enjoy him as a character because of like the emotional conflict that his relationship with Batman brings up and the fact that they both have like these really strong moral codes and this like long history with each other that's really complicated by the fact that they both feel like the other one is doing stuff that they can't condone. And that's why I find him an interesting character because he's like, not just like a bad guy that kills people for no reason he has a reason for doing it and it's the one that you can like kind of root for but he is still technically a villain in this story also you named your potted plant after him so i think it's fair to say that you care a lot about jason todd now i do in fairness i own a lot of potted plants and they're all named after comic book characters so this is just like one in a long line in conclusion we are not immune to a murderous bad boy with a white hair streak and a tragic past who pokes narrative holes in the entire existence of Batman comic. And with that, we've been Never the Twins Shall Meet. If you'd like to keep up with our further podcasting misadventures, you can find us on Twitter at Never Twins Cast, or you can follow us on Instagram at Never the Twins Shall Meet. We're also on Tumblr at neverthetwinsshallmeet.tumblr.com, or you can send us an email at neverthetwinsshallmeet at gmail.com if you also perhaps have further thoughts on the tragedy of Jason Todd. And if you've been enjoying this episode or any of our previous episodes, feel free to go rate and review us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts.